Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking back, I think this was probably the moment I knew I wanted to talk to today's guest on the show. I love your Seth Meyers poster. You can really see his face. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, he's sort of my dream guy. Double threat writer and performer on SNL, just like I want to be. It's like, I want to have sex with him, but I also want to be him. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Umrit Kaur as Bella in one of my favorite comedy shows of the past year, The Sex Lives of College Girls. Umrit was born in Ontario, Canada, and was virtually unknown to American audiences before Mindy Kaling handpicked her to essentially play a younger version of herself on the HBO Max series. If you haven't seen The Sex Lives of College Girls, and really, what are you waiting for? Bella is an ultra-confident, sex-positive, second-generation South Asian immigrant who also happens to be as obsessed with comedy as I am. And, in my opinion, Umrit helped make her one of the funniest and most fully realized characters on TV right now. So, ahead of the recently announced second season of the show, I was eager to have her on the podcast to talk about how she seemingly came out of nowhere to pull this off. Let's get into it. Here's me talking with Umrit Kaur. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this. I have to tell you, I came to The Sex Lies of College Girls a little bit late, like a couple of weeks after it, it premiered, um, but then just like binged it as fast as I could and was so blown away by your performance in it. So I'm so excited to, to have you on the show. Um, welcome. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you for all your kind words and it means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was mainly shocked to learn that you had really only done drama before doing this show. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. They don't, comedy isn't really a genre that's taught per se in theater school, unless you do clowning. So I did, I definitely did clowning in theater school and then I did improv in high school. Right. So yeah. that helped. And then, um, I still, um, I still train at Lonsdale Smith acting studios. So there we do every genre, but we don't really think of it as a comedy or a drama. We think of it more as just human behavior. We're doing the script. And if I'm myself, people will laugh at me because I'm an awkward, normal, weird <laughs> person. And if I'm my vulnerable self, people will, their hearts will break. So it's, it, it's more about being personal. And that's how I approached Bella too. I, the, the, I don't know how to be funny. Whenever I tried <laughs> to be funny, I was not funny. I just had to try to be myself. <laughs> Yeah, try to be real and try to just yeah live the the moment that that's in the script and the the writing is so funny on the show so that must have helped obviously. Yeah, I mean it's actually a trap when the writing is that funny because there's such a desire to to go boom 
<laughs> but the line is so brilliant. The lines do that for you. And I'm like, wow, I really don't have to do anything except say the line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, there's a lot that I want to talk to you about the show, but I kind of want to back up and start with, with your story. Um, so I know, you know, that you grew up in Ontario, Canada, um, and, but sort of, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your upbringing, where you came from and how you started getting into this whole world of performing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in Scarborough, uh, Ontario initially, um, definitely a more working class place. A lot of immigrants first go to, to Scarborough and then once they work their way up, they move, move into the GTA, we call it greater Toronto area. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so once my parents upgraded, worked up the ladder, they moved to Markham, Ontario, which is where I did, um, high school and grade seven and eight. Um, yeah, conservative household, like very typical Indian household. They, they grew up wanting their children to have a safe future. So, coming here for us to be doctors, engineers, lawyers. So actor definitely wasn't on the radar. <laughs> if anything, it's like, wow, we came here to make you safe. And yeah. now what are you you're, thinking? <laughs> yes, you're going into something that's not safe. <laughs> so um, I, I think together, what I really admire about my family is through me um, and through my learning and I was uneducated of how hard the arts are and how vigorous the training is and how much intelligence is required because I just wasn't taught that. But as I learned that through my coaches, my teachers, my parents learned that too. And hopefully that'll seep through to other people in the family or that want to pursue the arts or other people of my race that you know, have immigrant parents that just don't know about what it takes to be an artist. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you, you started doing improv, I think, in high school. Um, what was that experience like when you sort of discovered that as an as an outlet? Because I think for a lot of people, that's sort of a gateway into uh, into performing and, and especially being funny. Yeah. Um, well, again, I was never the funny one. I was always the weird one. <laughs> um, so and and it was, it was very conflicting for me because I always wanted to be the popular girl. So, <laughs> and I never was. I, I still am not. Um, so I go into high school and of course I, I had to choose. My parents said I could choose one extra curricular and it, I had to choose between two loves, soccer and acting. So I chose acting. Um, but we did the Canadian improv games, uh, which we have in Canada. I don't know if you have American improv games. Yeah, or I, think that's I mean, a I think thing. there's some overlap, and you know, with the second city is in both places, and right, and all that. right, yeah. Right. So we, I was a team captain of my Canadian improv team. So we had, we had what we call. I'm just. We had to pick things out of a box or like a. Randomly, I have yeah. a basket yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> I pick things out of a basket, and we would have the team would have thirty seconds to embody them. And there were four categories: there was theme, physical, life, and I think character. I might get that wrong <laughs> for all the improv geeks out there. So I was a very physical comedian. So if anything, like I remember a time I was on stage and I picked up a physical thing and it said fish. 
And so people were trying to do metaphors of a fish and I literally got on stage and was like, "Ah." and my parents were in the audience and they were like, you are going to hurt yourself. Did you see anyone else moving around like that? (laughs) But that's how I made a fool. I I make people laugh by making a fool out of myself. So that was, that was improv for me. So improv definitely didn't help me make me more popular. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it helps make make anyone more popular, but maybe eventually (laughs) now it is maybe. (laughs) Maybe. There's a long, Maybe. long payoff. <laughs> so then, I mean, you at some point you you know you, then you studied acting in college and then started getting into more professional work. And as I said, that was that's where really I think there was more of a focus on drama than than comedy and some of those early sort of TV gigs and stuff, right? I mean, I, I'm still very much in the beginning of my career. Um, so, but I think most of my work has been drama so far. Uh, even though Canada has a good chunk of comedies out there, we have Shit's Creek. Yeah, that's a but big Schitt's, one. <laughs> Creek, but it was really hard to get an audition for Shit's Creek. I think Shit's Creek was one of those, and I think this is beautiful. The creators wanted it to be inclusive of all their friends and families that had worked hard and were trying to get in. So I think it was harder. And now there's Working Moms, which is quite big from oh, Canada. Yeah. That's my, my wife is a huge Working Moms fan. She's, oh, uh, yeah. she's She just binged the entire thing over the past uh, few weeks. Oh, it's yeah. One of so the, I've watched a little bit of it, but not the whole thing. But yeah. Right. One of the actors on it, Dan, Danny Kind, she studies at the studio with me that we, we both go to the same studio. Oh, nice. So, I mean, obviously, you know, this the Sex Lives of College Girls has been this huge breakout um, for you and, and for everyone on the show. But I think, you know, I think you really stand out on it. Um, I know you had a very sort of unique story in terms of getting the role um, and the process that you had to go through for that. Because so for anyone who hasn't heard that story, what what was the process of getting on that show and getting this this role? Uh, well, I first didn't get it. Yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> the first process. I think what I learned, especially from this process, is that if you really want something, just go for it. Let the universe decide. We weren't supposed to audition. It said specifically on the audition breakdown if you didn't have an O1 visa not to audition. And my Canadian agent being polite was like, maybe we shouldn't audition. And my American manager was like, screw that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Go yeah, very it. American of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I did the audition. I loved it. Um, I only did two takes. And... They called me back for a chemistry read, but they canceled the audition because they figured out I had didn't have an O1 visa. And then my manager at the time, he made some calls to people at Warner Brothers and had had some links and said that we could get her an O1 visa real quick. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> the audition was back on. And so I I only did the audition once and I figured, oh my God, I got no notes. They must hate me, which <laughs> every actor thinks. And then I was given a third scene to do and told that I had to apply for my O-1 visa in like a matter of three days. And usually people take a couple of weeks to set all of that up. So I, I did that, still didn't know if I was going to get the part. And then I heard that I didn't get the part, um, get, didn't get the O-1 visa, but they liked my work. Um, I officially had gotten the part, but not gotten the O-1 visa. And then final round, uh, all the exec producers wrote into the big shots in Trump's government, I guess. And <laughs> yeah, wow. someone, 
someone gave the green light, which I'm very grateful to that person mm, for. Someone was someone was a fan of the office or uh, the Mindy Project, maybe in the in the government. Uh, I hope like, so. Responded to Mindy Kaling's uh, please. I I can only imagine. I hope so. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it's a it's a wild story, and I mean, it's yeah, it's crazy to think that that's what could have prevented you from from playing the role, you know, which is kind of messed up that that would be the case. Um, but I'm glad that that's not what happened. Yeah, and I'm I'm. I mean, it's not a small feat to, I'm so grateful to everyone who wrote in to make that happen. I I don't take that lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that you tried stand-up comedy to prepare for the role. Was that before the audition or once you had the role or what what did that look like? Once I had the role. Yeah. Um, I I did stand-up. I actually went, I had a feeling we were going to talk about a process. And so I went back to like my old prep notes and my so one of my initial meetings with my coach um we wrote down about 50 comedians that i was supposed to study <laughs> and i have like hannah gatsby here tiffany haddish sarah silverman so many wanda sykes eddie murphy uh you know dave chappelle they were like, you did some you did some comedy some comedy uh, education Oh yeah. And I, I couldn't get, I can't get, I haven't gotten through them all before season two. I'd like to get through more. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did do stand up, uh, afterwards. I actually started near the end, closer to the end, uh, stand up. And I learned so much from Sherry Shepard, who is an actor on set who also is a great comedian and she invited me to a couple of her shows to sit and learn. And I just wanted to build that gene and to get, you know, be a meta actor, make it personal, experience the fail. And I'm very much still a rookie. Um, <laughs> how did it, how did I'm it go trying. when you actually tried to, you know, get up there and, and tell jokes on stage? Um, the first time, I think I got a lot of pity laughs. laughs. It's the first, this first time. I found it 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 interesting. I find myself to be quite a political person and my humor is political and I love Dave Chappelle because he's so able to talk about politics in his humor at the risk of being canceled. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is that, so that vulnerable. It doesn't I'm it it it's not his bravery appeals to me. Not his, necessarily his, everything that, that he says, but... but I the, mean, those are controversial. So many of his statements are controversial, but the act of... And a lot of stand-ups have this. I mean, to stand up and stay your opinion is an act of courage. But Dave Chappelle, in particular, I find he has the courage to say what he wants to say at the risk of people not liking it. And that's so brave, to say your opinion... Yeah, no, it's interesting that to think about that in relation to your character on the show, who, in a different way, I would say, says whatever's on her mind. Yeah, you know, not that she's going to get canceled necessarily, but that she might, you know, alienate the people around her. But she doesn't seem to care. Yeah, yeah, I admire, I, I admire that about Bella, and I don't. I, Bella is definitely ahead of me in that in that ground. I I don't exude that type of bravery. I'd I'd like to get to that bravery. Bella has. Talking about uh, Mindy Kaling, you know who co-created the show. Um, what what was your relationship to her? Were you a were you a big fan of her work? What was the prospect of working with her specifically? Um, you know, in your head. Oh yeah, huge fan. Um, I mean, there's been so few of us in 
North American cinema. I can count them, the people that have influenced me on my fingers. And it shouldn't be that way. In many other cultures or races, there's more than 10, 15, 20 people, you know. And Mindy was a huge part of changing things for South Asians. And even starting from The Office, Kelly Kapoor, seeing someone who looked like not the standard beauty, but still beautiful, being seen as a romantic interest and being funny and being smart. And that's iconic. So just that, just doing that, being able to see that on TV growing up was huge for me. So to be able to work with someone who did that for me, who made me feel like I could be an actress despite not being the standard beauty was very empowering for me and um, I was so nervous to work with her because I had so much reverence for her. What do, what do you remember about the first time that you actually, you know, met her uh, face-to-face or what was that uh, experience well, I'm like? like, is she a real person? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the only, the note I got from my teacher was don't be a star fucker. <laughs> so, no, no. Don't be one of those people. I'm like, I'm sorry, coach. I couldn't do it. I was staring uh, yeah, at her all I can't day. Can't help it. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, the first time I actually, actually was on set, I was so starstruck. I guess, or such a fan. I maybe a fan is a better word. Such a fan that I couldn't even get my words out. And I just had one line. I think the line was, "Dude." your reflections in my selfie. And I could not remember <laughs> that line. That was the only line I had all day. And I emailed Mindy the next day uh, and I I asked her if I could speak in the trailer because I was so embarrassed and I had to admit my reverence for her and I cried and I just admitted how much of an impact she's had on me growing up and things were better once I made that admission. Hi, Bella. It's you, Bella. Today you find out if you make the Catalan or not. But I want you to know that no matter what happens today, I'm proud of you. You're a boss bitch. And just remember, Molly Shannon didn't get SNL on her first try. Neither did Rachel Dratch. But eventually they all did and went on to become icons. And you know what? You fucking will... Can you move your reflections on my selfie? From knowing, you know, about Mindy's life and career, and she was on this podcast, and I got to talk to her about a lot of this stuff, um, it seems like a lot of Bella's story, you know, is based on her own experience of being in college, wanting to be in comedy so desperately. Um, how does how does her experience, um, you know, coming up, do you feel like compared to yours? And do you see some of, you know, your own story in that? Oh, I see... A hundred percent. I mean, I think whenever I approach a character, I try to look at what the universal experiences are. And there's so many universal experiences. And by universal experiences, I mean human traits or experiences that everyone experiences that I could relate to Mindy Kaling. I don't, I don't have to be her. And just coming into school and that desire to be attractive, Bella loses so much weight. This, this self-consciousness about not being the standard beauty. So she's trying to squeeze into a body, squeeze into clothes that will make her feel more like the standard beauty. The desperation to be with these men who she's attracted to, who are the standard beauty, to feel more good about herself, to feel like I, 
because I don't, I can't win in the aesthetic game. I have to win in the funny game so I can get the guy of my dreams. And then also to be the girl who's naive about this club, the Catullan, and she thinks it's going to be easy and she has all these ideas of what the dream is. She knows it's hard to get into, but she didn't know that the hard was going to be experiencing racism, classism, sexism, patriarchy, and, you know, the, the drape is taken off of her eyes and she comes to reality of what it means to be in that club. I've experienced all of that. Coming up, Amrit discusses some of the most challenging moments from the first season of The Sex Lives of College Girls and shares her hopes and dreams for Bella in season two. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our conversation with the Sex Lives of College Girls creator Mindy Kaling about her experience coming up in the comedy world and everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Umrid Kaur. One scene that really stood out to me, you know, rewatching the, the first episode is this debate that the girls have about should Bella report the sexism, you know, tell on the guys, get them in trouble, or should she go along with it and try to be their friends and kind of, um, you know, it's sort of, and it's Kimberly on one side and Leighton on the other having that debate in the, in the cafeteria. Do any of you know what a drop it like F. Scott party is? F. Scott Fitzgerald? Huh? You basically have to look like a 20s slut. Oh, sweet. The Catalan is throwing one for all the people submitting, but I don't know if I should go. I ran into the editor this morning, and he basically told me there's no reason to submit because there won't be any female spots this year. Oh, they have a quota for gender? That's insane. And you should definitely report him to University Affairs. Or, quite frankly, the ACLU. What? I'm sorry, but that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. You want them to pick you, right? Yeah. Okay, well, make them like you. Okay, don't be like some histrionic feminist. Just show them you're chill and you're fun to have around. I think Leighton's right. I was curious when you read that scene or, or performing that scene, how did you think about that and sort of what is the, the move if you're in that situation and, and how do you think about that? Um, I had to think about it 
from a personal place. What Bella's journey, I wanted to, and this isn't correct necessarily, you know, this isn't the right way to approach something, but I, because the producers, directors, everybody wanted it to be so gray. I also wanted to, as an actor, reveal the fear and the desperation of so badly wanting to be part of this club. So this white man is doing something to her and there's so many red flags, but Bella in her desperation of wanting to be in part of this club is pretending that they aren't red flags, which, which is such a normal human things to do. When I want, even in a relationship, when I want a guy to be the dream guy or a girl to be the dream girl, even if there's so many red flags, I'll pretend that, ah, I don't see it. I don't see it. The shiny thing. That's all I see. <laughs> so that's, so that's what I wanted it to come off as. Even when she's talking initially about the porno or something like that to her friends, like, oh, nothing, nothing, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, it was just she wants, it to, she wants it to be fine because she so desperately wants she's to be so part desperate. of this club. Yeah. Yes, as opposed to being so conscious all of a sudden, because I don't think that's real. Um, and then in terms of whether or not to report him, I think she has to decide whether or not she is willing to take the risk of not being on the Catullin anymore. Um, and that's really scary for her because this was this thing that she thought was the dream. And also scary because she has told a lie to her parents that she's an innocent child. And if, if she reports to Title IX, then her parents might be called and involved. And that would be a very big problem. So should, does she want to tell the truth of who she is? So weighing all of those things... I think until she finds out that it's, she decides to keep her mouth shut. Um, most importantly, because she wants to get on the Catullin. Even the fact that she said, no, I'm not interested. And I, I made a conscious choice in the moment that it wouldn't be like, I'm scared. I'm no, I'm not. It would be that she's scared inside. But when, but when, but in order to protect herself, the way she plays it off is broy. Yo, dude, why are you showing me your dick? What's wrong with you? But in, as a way to protect herself, um, but she knows that even in doing that, she probably won't get onto the Catalan. So that's why she's so, she's so ecstatic when she does. She didn't think she would. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of relates in a really interesting way to what she does to help herself get in the club in the first place, um, you know, in a consensual way and the sort of flipping the script that she talks about, you know, with, um, with all the guys, how did you think about that decision that she makes? And is it, is it, is there, were there ever times where it's hard not to judge your character's behavior in some of those situations, you know? Of course, of course it's, it's, it's normal to judge because I have judgments about myself, you know, you I'm I'm human and yeah I had to ask ask myself okay so she made this choice but she didn't make this how do I justify that sure I do have those judgments um but ultimately what I came to is is really is really that it's it's choice you know she has a choice and she's consensually open-heartedly exploring her sexuality and just because you're someone who's exploring their sexuality is not permission, is not a green light for anyone to attack you in any way. It's not. And that's, I think that's unfortunately something that's, that's not properly discussed between men and women. Like what is, what is the green light? 
what is even sometimes sometimes you just want intimacy even forget like giving six hand jobs sometimes even sometimes you're intimate with a person and just having an intimate conversation and being honest and we're so scared of intimacy that maybe that's considered a green light but no intimacy also doesn't mean i want to have sex there's so many like what is the green light we don't we don't know you did what i gave six hand jobs not at the same time or anything. I'm not like a porn star. I talked to each of them, told them I was a writer, that I loved their work, and if they voted for me, I could be into doing some hand stuff. I told them I'm a girl who's chill, just like you told me to. I, I definitely didn't tell you to jerk a bunch of dicks. Okay, first off, why the shade? I got two things out of this. This is a win-win for me. I helped my chances of getting on the Catullin, and I got to give a bunch of hand jobs. No one likes giving hand jobs. Maybe I do. Maybe I love it. I've had like zero sexual experiences for most of my sad ass life. So if suddenly I'm hot enough to have a bunch of dicks thrown my way, sorry, but I'm a crank em. Ugh. What's going on? Bella traded sex for an opportunity. Just like men have been doing for centuries. I flipped the script. I'm not sure you did. Ah, oh, sex positive, y'all. Deal with it. You know, thinking about the season as a whole, you know, the character, your character, and all the characters go through a lot, um, and you know, there's a lot of scandalous stuff in the show. What what was the most sort of difficult or uncomfortable scene to shoot? It's hard to say difficult. Trying to go through my rolodex of <laughs> of things. There's there's some things that are there wasn't a specific thing that that was difficult but the the notes I had gotten from my coach and stuff that I'm still working on was that just because the line's funny I don't have to juice the line I wanted so badly to be funny because I know that I was I was Chandler you know yeah. I was I was that <laughs> I was that relief and. Feeling and Chandler, I've listened to his interviews a lot. Um, yeah, Matthew um, Perry. Matthew Perry, I'm so sorry, Matthew Perry, and he talks about uh, when if he didn't get a lot laugh in the audience, he would beat himself up, and that was sort of what I was carrying with Bella. I was like I know that the writers are creating these lines, and they're so brilliant on the fly. They're creating these lines, and I've, I've got to hit the joke. And if someone's not laughing in the background or just laughing after cut, ugh. But it's not, I had to remind myself, it's not about that. And I just have to say the words, and I have to be in the moment. Because as soon as I tried to be funny, I just wasn't funny. Yeah, and you, um, didn't, and you didn't have the benefit of a studio audience, you know, laughing uh, there to, to help you out. So you're kind of just doing it, you know, maybe people laugh after, as you said, after they say cut, but... Yes. Yeah, in the moment, it just must be kind of silence, and you're not sure whether it's landing or yeah. not, right? Yeah, which is probably better for my actor brain because then I can just act without validation. But I just had to remind myself that that's not what I'm, I'm going in to play for the real as much as possible in this genre. Um, other than that, I think the scene when I was speaking to Leighton about what had happened and I uh, spoke, um, that Carla had, had been sexually assaulted as well. That was hard because he specifically didn't want Bella to be vulnerable. That's a block of hers, that her vulnerability is expressed through the funny. And to find that middle ground where Amrit might have said it in a different way, but Bella would say it in a different way. And to honor honor Bella where she is in, 
and being vulnerable. Um, so that I, in between takes, I would be emotional. But when when I was doing the take, it was very much trying to not be above trying to be above the emotion because that's how Bella behaves. So that was that was a harder scene for me. Yeah, I mean, the whole aftermath of the the sexual assault is so devastating, just that she, it takes away her ability to be part of this thing that she really wanted to be a part of. And I'm, you know, of course, sitting there watching it being like, she shouldn't be the one who has to quit. They, you know, they, all these other people should, should leave. Um, so how did you think about that and her decision to quit as opposed to sort of finding a way, maybe there is no way, but to insist that, you know, she should get to stay and other people should have to leave. I think it's actually quite empowering because what she's realizing is what she's letting go of is this club where there will always be racism, sexism, patriarchy, as she's experienced, and accepting the reality that things, because of the way she looks, and it's not a fair reality, but it's the reality of the world, that she's a South Asian American standard looking woman who's intelligent and funny. And that fucks people up. <laughs> and so as a result, it may take longer than many of her counterparts to get to the same place as she wants to go. And she's brave enough to say that, hey, I'm smart enough, intelligent enough, funny enough to get to where I want without sacrificing my intelligence, without being walked on. So it is an act of bravery and standing up for herself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned that you you come from a very or somewhat conservative, you know, uh, Indian family. And, and I'm curious what your, your family, your parents made of, of this show, considering they, they didn't necessarily want you to be an actor in the first place. And now you're doing some pretty outrageous things on screen, you know, in front of a lot of people. So what, what has that reaction been like? Oh man. Well, you know, bless my father's heart. I still... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we come from, uh, a village in India, called Hushiarpur, very conservative village, not not necessarily even allowed to talk to your cousin brothers, um, you know. So I admire my father's open-heartedness to grow. It, I mean, it's been hard for him, uh, hard for my mother too, but specifically for my, for my father um, because of the, the culture he was raised in. But what was amazing is that we've been able to have so many wonderful conversations around sexuality as a result of this show. And he's admitted conversations he's had with his South Asian friends and how they, how they're disillusioned about how their children are acting, how their daughters and sons are acting and how they're so innocent and, you know, the messiahs of, of their family. And then, He'll be driving around and he sees the friends of their daughters, uh, no, daughters of their friends making out with a boy. And he's like, oh, not so innocent, <laughs> you know, and we've talked about, hey, if we just were able to have honest discussions about the reality of being a South Asian kid in North America in this time, that maybe would be safer for all the kids, you know, um, and he's definitely grown in that way, even coming from that place. And I hope, I hope that will encourage other children to have conversations with their parents and open up this conversation about sexuality in the South Asian community. We're sexual just like everybody else. 
Yeah, you can imagine, you know, teenagers watching the show with their parents. You know, it is it is uh, you know, scandalous as I said, but not in necessarily in a such a way that you couldn't watch it, you know, with your family. Yeah, yeah um, I mean there were maybe two scenes I told my dad, hey, you know, <laughs> I'll forward this one, but otherwise it's fine. <laughs> so the first season, you know, ends with this kind of uh, sweet moment between your character and Eric, who you mentioned, who we kind of originally see as this asshole guy, part of the the comedy group, but sounds like seems like maybe something is uh, is brewing between the two of them for for season two, which <laughs> just got announced pretty recently. What got announced that something's happening between no season two <laughs> that there's going to be a season two? Yeah, I mean there is going to be a season two. I guess we'll see what happens. <laughs> about I too don't know. I I'm waiting eagerly to find out. Bella, what are you wearing? Oh, it's caution tape. Uh, yeah, I can see that. So, how's it going? Bad. I had irrevocably in my relationship with my best friend, and I have to move out of my apartment because it's his. And we lost all our good writers, so not the best day. Right, that makes sense. Where are you gonna live? I don't know. I gotta ask my dads for rent money. Dads? Yeah, I have two dads. Oh, that's fun. You think it's fun that I have two dads? I do. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of fun. Well, I should go. My friends are waiting for me, but um, maybe I'll see you around. Yeah. All right. Has sort of nothing started yet? Like you haven't read scripts or you haven't started working on it yet? No, not yet. Yeah. Um, what are your What are your hopes for what uh, Bella can get to do in, in season two? And where do you want to see the show and, and your character go? Well, I... I mean, her dream is to continue, is to one day be on SNL. So I'm very interested to see that trajectory, uh, because I too have that dream. So I might steal from Bella <laughs> if it works. Maybe we'll merge. The dream would be to merge and have Bella on SNL. <laughs> yeah. I guess the question is what's, what's going to happen first? Bella on SNL or Amrit on SNL? Only the universe will tell us whatever <laughs> SNL decides. Amen. I, so. So it would be interesting to see her doing stand-up. It would be interesting. I know she's starting to do this woman's... She's going to do a woman's comedy magazine. I'm interested to see the adversities that come with that. You know, it's not going to be easy. And I hope we continue to tell the stories of the real, that what the reality is of trying to be an intelligent and funny South Asian American woman in the comedy world. Yeah. Um, for you, you know, beyond season two and, and continuing this show, what are the things that you're really wanting to do in this business now that maybe you have a little more, uh, you know, visibility and clout now that you're on this hit show? Oh, so many. Um, right now I'm excited. I'm, I'm working with a couple of two other colleagues at, at a company I work with at Grace Menard's company to put up a play called Tape. Very excited about that. I'm writing a TV series as well. Um, yeah, which I'd like to pitch to HBO one day. <laughs> <laughs> is it kind um, of a, is it a, um, autobiographical series or how, what kind of no, thing are they? It, it's a mix of both. It's heavily influenced by my family. Um, it's about a woman who dreams of an education in Canada and she marries into a family only to find out that her husband is abusive. Um, and so she has to pursue her education in secret. So she emigrates from India to Canada for on a marriage visa. And it's, it, it, it looks at 
a really big part of Punjab, lot, almost half of Punjab doesn't live in Punjab. There's a big NRI, um, fantasy in Punjabis that even going to another place, maybe we can escape the abuse in a way, but the abuse is in, in our families and in not just South Asian families in every family, but it, this just happens to be a South Asian story that I'm talking about. So does not um, sound like a comedy. It's definitely not. I might, I might do a comedy in between first as my first thing and then go to the drama. Maybe. You don't want to get stuck in one, you know, one lane, right? You got to keep all your options open. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to do everything. I want to do everything. <laughs> so what I want to do now is our segment called the first laugh. So I'm going to ask you a handful of, uh, of questions about some firsts in your, in your life and career as they relate to comedy. Um, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard, whether it was something you saw on TV or in a movie or, you know, a comedian, um, something that, that really made you laugh as a kid growing up? Um, my dad used to tell this joke and it's, it was in Punjabi, so I don't know if it's going <laughs> to be as... It's going to be hard to translate. It's not, I don't know if it's going to be as funny in... Um, and he used to tell basically a lot of male mitter jokes, if anybody knows who male mitter is. So that's that's all I'll say. <laughs> okay. I can actually... Yeah, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to give like a short translated version of it or... A... Okay, so, um, so this guy is um, really stinky. Okay. And he's, oh, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. I told the story <laughs> wrong. There's this, uh, porta potty that's really stinky. Okay. That, that's okay. This porta potty that's very stinky. And, uh, there's a skunk in there who's, who's, you know, gassed up the place because it's really stinky. Um, and people are in the city and they're just like, that freaking skunk is in there. Somebody got, has to take the skunk out. And, um, one man goes in, second man goes in, and the skunk is still in there. Nobody can get the skunk out. And eventually this third man walks in, and the man stinks so much that the skunk runs away from the bottom. <laughs> it's not as funny. That's the joke. I told you, I'm not funny. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm, it's, I'm sure it's really funny. <laughs> oh, no. That's a, that's a joke, yes. Um well, you say, you're not, you say you're not funny, but usually I like to ask people, you know, when's the first time that you realized that you were funny? And, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was on this show. I don't know. I, well, I think I realized I'm not funny. <laughs> that's what you realized? I don't think that's um, true. I, I think the first time I realized I was funny was, was probably the, the improv games, but I realized I was funny, not in a way that I make people laugh, but I'm funny that people in a way that people laugh at me. Like I am laughable. <laughs> it's not because I tell jokes. I just, I'm constantly embarrassing myself. Do you remember the first time, your first time performing on stage that you really felt like you were, you know, connecting with an audience and something was really, you know, clicking and, and working really a good performing experience from early on? Yes. I, in theater school, I did a play called Tough by George F. Walker. That was my first time. Um, what was it about just, that that role or that that experience? Oh, I just felt like I was high. When acting gets really good, it's like a drug. It's like it's like better than sex. It's like <laughs> there's this high, and you feel like there's this machine that's making choices that 
isn't that aren't in your control. This machine is doing this thing. This vibration is doing this thing. And that vibration is so addictive. And that was the first time I felt it. Like I wasn't, Amrit wasn't making the choice. The character was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And then you kind yeah. of chase that high, I'm sure. Chase that high. Still do. Like I just came back from acting class right before um, this, in, this, this interview and I'm doing Medigliani right now as a play and, uh, by Tennessee Williams. And I just didn't get the high while I was acting. So I'm going to have to try again next time, but I feel dissatisfied. I feel like I smoked pot and nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, uh, what's the, what's the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? Something you want to shout out or recommend that you've seen that, that really made you laugh? You know, they say succession isn't a comedy. Oh, but those people are wrong. Succession is hilarious. The, the familial abusiveness is <laughs> hilarious. It's like, we all pretend that abuse is this thing we make it extreme and it's the small, like the, the, the coldness, the direct, the C word that, you know, that's, and we do it with our family members to a T and we feel we can get away with it. And it's so <laughs> mean. And these actors seeing them reveal that stuff, I'm like, wow, I need to be a better daughter, a better friend. I, <laughs> I talk exactly like that with the people I love. It's not good. No, I totally agree with you. That's one of the, it's one of the funniest shows out there. I think it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, well, Amrit, thank you so much for for doing this. And uh, this was really fun. Great to meet you and and talk to you about the show, which I really, really loved. Um, and I can't wait to see more. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. I really I'm appreciate trying. that. <laughs> it was perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Wow. Thank you so much to Amrit Kaur for that incredible conversation. Season one of The Sex Lives of College Girls is streaming now on HBO Max, and we will be looking out for season two, hopefully coming sometime this year. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.